What is up, everybody? Welcome to DFS MVP. I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, director of DFS at 444.com. Got my co-host with me, Matt Savoca. If you didn't tune in last week, Matt is new this year. Really excited to have him. Uh, he's going to be rocking our FanDuel cash game article as well as rocking the DFS MVP with me. This is our seventh season of DFS MVP. This is episode 155. If you're new to the DFS MVP, uh, we're a strategy-based NFL DFS podcast. We like to focus on teaching you how to play, not just telling you who to play. Uh, during the regular season, every week, we will be giving you our favorite value plays along with the theory segment to kind of get you better uh, on the macro level. During the preseason, we will be hitting those theory segments uh, from a wider scope, and that will be the entire show. This week, uh, we have FanDuel pricing that just dropped since our last show. Last week, we looked at DraftKings. Uh, we're going to take a first quick look at FanDuel pricing, compare that to what we saw with DraftKings, and then we're going to talk some of our general cash game strategy. Uh, if you haven't signed up for the DFS subscription yet, head over to 444.com. If you use promo code DFSMVP, that'll get you 10% off. If you haven't signed up for a prize picks account yet, you can head over to 444.com slash prize picks to get details on how to get a sub for as little as $20. You have to be a new prize picks user and also be sure to sign up for our discord. Uh, we have Pat James over there rocking some preseason analysis right now to go along with his uh, preseason articles. Matt, how's it going, bud? Hey, doing well. Hey, what a reading. Fantastic start. Uh, it's still real hot here in New York City yeah. where I am, and it's not feeling like football weather, but I'm thrilled to talk some strategy, talk some FanDuel, and uh, hopefully get people ready in the mindset to make a lot of money this season. Yeah, dude, it's going to be a real good season. I'm excited to have you. we got an awesome team this year. Um, let's dive right into it today. As I mentioned, FanDuel pricing dropped last week. You dropped an article called A First Look at FanDuel Week 1 Salaries. Basically, what you did, looked at FanDuel, uh, percentage of the salary cap on FanDuel, compared that to what we saw on DraftKings. Uh, so we're not doing like a value plays dive here, but just kind of comparing and looking for discrepancies. And that could be a cool way to find value. So uh, let's jump into it. What did you find? across the sites when you dug into that yeah sure i mean that was a great explanation of it but i really like to think i like to get out of the the thought process of these made-up salaries in yeah. the, the that both of these games sort of dictate and start thinking of it in terms of percentage of the salary cap that you're using and if i can actually go one level beyond that you, you got to remember that there's a minimum price for every position and a minimum price that you could theoretically make a lineup for. So on yeah. each site, you're only playing with a certain percentage of that overall salary cap. So right. that's really how you go about comparing apples to apples and seeing if your players that you're looking for, and we're not really going to get into the nitty gritty of who's the best plays at this point, but that's right. really how you figure out who's the actual value at certain sites. Uh, yeah. That's much more helpful, in my opinion, than just looking at uh, positional ranking, saying that this player is the tight end three on this site. This player is the tight end five on that site. Uh, it can be helpful, but I think that's sort of the first level analysis. I try to go a level deeper. Yeah, and, and we'll get into uh, kind of how we use that information, how we use those discrepancies if we are playing on multiple sites. Um, but before we do that, let's dive into it. Uh, starting with running backs, what are some things that you noticed when comparing FanDuel and DraftKings? Well, first of all, I got to say that for the most part, these high tier, these superstar tier running backs, with the exception of Christian McCaffrey, of course, are actually valued a little bit cheaper on mm -hmm. FanDuel. 
In fact, across the board with these top tier running backs, it looks like you're getting a slight value percentage gain on FanDuel versus DraftKings. And I don't want to go into too big of a tangent diatribe, but if you hear sharp DFS players comparing DK and FanDuel, and they say something like FanDuel is a softer game, is an easier game. I think what they're really trying to say is from a relative value standpoint, the high price players, especially at running back, which is one of the most predictable positions that we have for NFL DFS, are just lower across the board, which means yeah. the game becomes about playing the absolute best plays. Yeah. Uh, so the mini game is really, can you identify the smash spots? Whereas in DraftKings, there's always a salary related game that you need to play a trade off. That's less so on FanDuel. So I- I'm probably going to be looking for those ways to jam in those big tier running backs, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, even before I look to that next year, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones. Unsurprisingly, a lot of these pass-catching running backs or running backs that theoretically could be uh, taken out at the goal line, they're at a significant discount on FanDuel player like Austin Eckler or DeAndre Swift. We're seeing a pretty significant discount at the running back position. Yeah, we'll get into some of the meta on just what that means for the the salary being, uh, for lack of a better term, softer. And it's something we've really seen on FanDuel going back to, a, I think this is the third year that they switched from a, a kicker to to a flex position. And uh, and that's kind of when we started seeing that. Um, I, I don't think they necessarily changed their their salary algorithm a ton. Um, and, and I think that might have a little bit to do with it. Like we're just essentially getting a, a option to have three running backs if, if you want to, especially in cast cash games where DraftKings, they've been really aggressive and tweaking their algorithm, tweaking their player minimums, yes. uh, having that ceiling go higher for the top players. And so, yeah, I mean, people do say it's it's a softer game, but I, I just think it's, um, again, we'll get into this a little bit more later, but it's just a different strategy, right? Like the when you can jam in most of your favorite plays, it, it adds to volatility and the meta changes a little bit and expecting, trying to figure out what other people are going to do might be a little bit easier, um, but that makes you adjust your uh, your approach a little bit as well. I mean, you talked about these guys that Austin Eckler, DeAndre Swift, Miles Gaskin. Fandle's really interesting, right? Because we assume we're going to be playing three running backs if we're playing cash games. Most but, likely, like, yeah. The, these DeAndre Swift, Miles Gaskin plays are, are really tricky on FanDuel sometimes because on, on DraftKings, those are the players that kind of unlock the salary for you. On FanDuel, like you you briefly mentioned, you're more inclined to try to jam in Dalvin and Henry or, or Dalvin and Kamara. So what like how do you typically handle these like DeAndre Swift, Miles Gaskin guys? Like they're really tricky to me. Are, are you more inclined to to play them with the Camara and and get value or get studs elsewhere? Or are you kind of starting, let me see where I can get two running backs and, and, and two high-end running backs work from there. And obviously everything's weak dependent, but I mean Fandle right. we do come across Fandle we come across these uh, situations quite a bit. Right. And, and a lot of times, again, it's it's always week specific, but we can do situations where we have superstar running back, superstar running back, free square running back in the flex, yes. and we'll just figure it out from there. And I think that's much more viable, especially in FanDuel, where you're going to have lots of salary available. And that way you can get top tier players at other positions, the onesie positions, which is always great. You got to remember with PPR versus half PPR on a season long standpoint, it's not unreasonable to have rankings basically the same for half PPR and full PPR. But in a one week sample size, 
that is a very, very different game. And it seems obvious to say, okay, full PPR DraftKings is really different than half PPR on FanDuel. But when you actually really boil it down, a touchdown run, which would be the same for either site, on DraftKings is equal to about 3.8 targets if you Mm -hmm. factor in the average yards per target of all players in 2020. On FanDuel, that jumps up to 5.5 targets. So in my estimation, you're looking between five and six targets to equal one touchdown run. So if I don't have a free square running back on FanDuel, I'm much more likely, and I'm throwing this name out there just off the top of my head to take a Gus Edwards type player, someone who's going to be at the goal line getting touchdown opportunities. Whereas I might save my salary that way. Whereas I, unless Austin Eckler or somebody something like that has a great matchup and I think they're going to have 20, 25 points. I might just save the salary there so I can get better players at the other positions. Yeah, for sure. Um, before we, we move on, uh, wide receiver, tight end defense, uh, go through quickly some of the guys that you noticed some big discrepancies on and if anything stood out in terms of like how you're going to be handling any of those guys in week one. Yeah, I, I see Julio Jones and Tyler Lockett, as well as Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool have some significant disparities from site to site with FanDuel having better values for all those players. So uh, if you want to take a chance on Julio Jones in his first game with Ryan Tannehill, Uh, I don't think that's a bad idea at all, Uh, especially because A.J. Brown and uh, Odell Beckham Jr. as well are priced higher on FanDuel comparatively. So I think uh, if we're looking at first thoughts for cash games, Julio Jones might fit the bill very nicely here. Yeah, I I like that a lot. The Titans are going to be an interesting one because um, they're opposite uh, Arizona, and that could be a pretty high-scoring game. I think people are going to be looking a lot at at Kyler's always exciting, and and just because people like him, they might be more inclined to go with that pass game. Obviously, people are always looking at Derrick Henry, so Titans are always a really interesting um, passing game to target. Uh, Any tight ends that stood out to you um, between the two sides? Well, yes, in the fact that Kyle Pitts – is extremely aggressively priced on yeah. FanDuel. And I think it I think it's a choice. It's a specific choice made by FanDuel to kind of either price him out or get casual fans who are really excited to see him come in from the college game where he was one of the most prolific tight ends in history. Um I he's, I wrote in the article that he's basically so high salary that he's become a tournament play because no one's going to want to yeah. fit him in. Um, I think it is going to suppress ownership a little bit. But uh, Travis Kelsey is a better value on FanDuel. George Kittle even a little bit. Um, Some of the injured tight ends, I'm seeing a pretty large relative value, TJ Hawkinson and Hunter Henry. Of course, these came out before those injuries to those players. Uh, So that's a little prescient from FanDuel there. I like the Travis Kelsey um, note just because FanDuel, one of the unique things about FanDuel is you can often pay up for tight end on DraftKings. That's It's usually really hard to do. Now, even when Travis Kelsey goes off, it's just something that rarely works in, in DraftKings cash games. Um, on FanDuel, it's a little bit different. So that's one of those nuances that uh, that's really interesting. Um, you could play a Kelsey and, and FanDuel cash. Uh, defenses, uh, there's some pretty big discrepancies there. And, and I think it's pretty interesting because when the discrepancies are as big as we see here like one of the sites has to be right right so it's i, I think they could try to decipher which one is the sharp one and which one is the soft one um what do you see a defense well i first want to take a macro approach to this where we talked about running backs wide receivers and tight ends as well as quarterbacks being softer price their relative percentage of the cap mm-hmm. is a little bit softer on vandal versus DraftKings. the opposite is true 
for defenses, at least in this week. Uh, there are really only a couple of value defenses for FanDuel, but some of them are really big. The first one that really sticks out, not a super exciting defense, the New York Giants. Facing the Denver Broncos in week one, they have by far the best relative value in terms of best FanDuel value comparative to DraftKings. And they're facing either Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke, who uh, I don't know, I don't have the best beat on Denver Broncos camp, but it doesn't sound like either one of them are lighting up training camp by any means. Uh, you could also take a chance on the Chiefs. Uh, the Browns are also relatively priced down, but I think there's a really good chance that that game turns into a shootout. Uh, so that is definitely a riskier play. Up in the higher salary range, the Patriots could be a little bit of a value play. Um, uh, I think that could be a low-scoring game against the Dolphins, especially if Cam Newton gets the start week one. Yeah, I like that. Um, I mean, I, I don't mind. Like, the Chiefs are always an interesting one to me because they're one of the teams that they're always a big favorite, um, but they're also always projected for shootouts. So they do end up with kind of these value salaries throughout the season. You don't have to necessarily be in a low-scoring game for your defense to to stand out. Like a lot of times, points come from special teams and defense, right? And even if they do get up big and give up twenty-four points, a lot of opportunities for turnovers. So I I often like, um, you know, if if a defense is a big favorite, but the game is expected to be high-scoring, those could be good values. Um, and then yeah, th those cheap defenses like like the Giants. Um, if Drew Locke is in there week one, that's, uh, th that could be super fun. Like it's just, it's, it's super interesting because you did kind of lay out everything that we've seen with the discrepancies between the, uh, the salaries on the two sites. And, and while I talked about DraftKings has kind of aggressively tweaked their algorithm and especially, um, making a, a higher floor for all the positions they've aggressively lowered their floor for defenses when defenses are expected to be really bad. DraftKings isn't afraid to make them $16,700. Uh, we've seen FanDuel do that very rarely, go below their typical um, floor. So I, I think we'll see that a lot throughout the season. It's super interesting just to look at week one salaries because we have seen in the past, sometimes we'll see week one salaries and be like, oh man, th things change. This floor change, the salary structure change. It looks like on first glance, both sites kind of stuck to what we saw last yes. <laughs> year. So I don't think we're going to have any major um, adjustments to strategy. Obviously, uh, positional uh, allocation, depending on like how the season plays out, could change. But it looks like salary structures are, are pretty much the same at both sites. We talked about the discrepancies that you found in your article do you actually use these uh, when you're building your lineups if you're playing across multiple sites? Like, what, what is the value in looking at stuff like this? Yeah, I think it is incredibly valuable in terms of getting a feel for the game. And yeah. I know that can be a little bit of a, you know, what does that, what does that phrase mean? But these slates are site-specific, mm -hmm. meaning you're really not going to get a good hold of where the, the value plays are until you really dig into the differences. At the same time, I don't obsess over this. This is something I do early in the week, and then I start to think about, projected game flow, dig into the projections, and those little nuance, the, the technical analysis of yeah. getting into the weeds with, weeds with DFS. So I don't obsess over value differences. I, I focus on just uh, identifying strong plays on the slate that allow, and then use the salary as a uh, guide. What does it allow me to do? I keep the value in the back of my mind, of course. You know, I'm not going to just go 
you know, Kyle Pitts is overpriced on FanDuel, so I think the ownership is going to be low. Therefore, I'm now playing Kyle Pitts. I'm never that simplistic with it. Sure. But it is absolutely one of the tools in the toolbox, and I don't feel like you have a good overall sense of the slate until you know those differences. Yeah, I, I think that um, you kind of touched on ownership, and obviously this we're going to be talking about cash, but, but what those salary differences do um, – besides just kind of naturally diverse diversifying your portfolio if you're playing cash on both sites is you have to kind of recognize are you playing in a game uh where your competition is going to be super price sensitive right so if we look at ownership projections that we do at four for four a lot of times that is based on large field tournaments like what we expect to see in the in the sunday million or or the millionaire on DraftKings and um a lot of those aren't going to be super price sensitive a lot of that's going to be based around uh scoring projections and, and what games are going to be the highest shootouts and whatnot, save a couple value, obvious value plays. But uh, where we can kind of take these price discrepancies across site is the higher stakes GPPs that you and I like to play the smaller fields. Those sharper players tend to be really um, price sensitive. And, and if we could recognize where those discrepancies are at across the sites and, and find some value on either side, I think there is um, a lot of value in that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. If you always think about it in terms of these, like you said, these ownerships are uh, percentages are often based on large field tournaments. Yeah. When you get into cash or single entry, those top ownership players sometimes skyrocket exponentially. Like you'll see the, the smash play running back, the by far the best play on the week running back. Sometimes it's 70, 80 percent in some of these tur- small field tournaments or cash games because it's just that obvious. So. Sometimes yeah, yeah. it's good to eat that chalk. Sometimes it's great to get away because you can pass so much of the field. Yeah, every once in a while we get a 90% owned uh, Taysom Hill playing quarterback, but he's really uh, listed at tight end, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, uh, if you have been waiting to play DFS but uh, aren't dabbling in preseason yet, one of the best ways to get your fix is by playing best ball and the platform I've been playing on the most this year is Underdog Fantasy. If you aren't familiar with best ball, it's a draft-only fantasy football league. You set it and forget it. You draft your team in a 12-team league over 18 rounds. If you get the highest score possible each week, the website sets it for you. No trades, no waivers, no lineups, uh, no problem. Right now, if you deposit $10, you can get a classic or a pro sub and a $25 uh, credit from Underdog by going to 444.com slash underdog. The number 4FOR, the number 4.com slash underdog. That $25 is equivalent to one buy in this year's Best Ball Mania 2. That's a Best Ball tournament with $3.5 million in prizes. First place gets $1 million and $1. I've been firing at this contest a ton. Uh, Matt, you're a best ball guy, and one of my favorite things about these large field DFS tournaments, uh, best ball tournaments, is that there is a lot of parallels to DFS. So some of the tournament uh, theories you'll hear us talk about throughout this preseason, you can apply to these best ball tournaments on 4 for 4. You can go to our best ball section to read a bunch of our tournament strategy specifically for Best Ball Mania 2. Go to 444.com slash underdog. That's the number four, F-O-R, the number four, to get details on a deposit bonus. Let's get into the game selection process. Uh, We talked about what we saw on FanDuel, but Matt, you're going to be really diving in to FanDuel cash games this year. You're taking over my old article. You'll be (laughs) writing our FanDuel cash game uh, breakdown every single week. Obviously, there were 
diving into our favorite favorite value plays and to our builds. But today, I just kind of want to get into your mind on how you approach selecting uh, cash games, specifically on FanDuel. Um, so before we do that, we kind of touched on it briefly. Talk about some aspects that are especially unique to FanDuel, whether it be positional allocation. Uh, you already talked about the scoring a little bit. What's something that if you haven't played FanDuel cash games before, you might be surprised, say you've only played PPR before? Yeah, we did touch on it. And I realized I, I, I forgot I had it lower on the show sheet. Hey, but it's all right, that, that half people, people PPR, that's right. That's right. That half PPR, full PPR difference is massive in a one game sample. And so we're looking for touchdown upside and that's across all positions, but particularly at the running back. I think people overvalue the quality of a target and the quality of a reception, not to say that you should ignore it in FanDuel versus DraftKings, but I think it's slightly overvalued. I think it's actually tilted the, the other way over the course of the years where it was undervalued. Now it's overvalued again. And I think we can save salary often if we especially want to deviate from that free square of the week. Some of them we've already mentioned some of past weeks, but we, if we want to deviate, we can get these running backs that we know are only going to get you know, 10 touches, 10 opportunities to 15 opportunities a game, and therefore their salary is much lower, but their opportunities to score a touchdown because we've identified a strong game environment for them can help help us differentiate our lineups. And we are going to need to differentiate our lineups, even in cash games, just a little bit. Bottom line is, in 2021, anyone with just a couple of dollars, enough dollars to play DFS of any kind, can find themselves really strong really good projections for the week and they can even get solid ownership projections we obviously recommend some four for four projections over here yeah those but are pretty good the bottom line is there's a lot of people out there who have access to high quality projections at this time so the game really becomes how can we utilize strategy and our understanding of game flow game situations and game expectations to change our thinking about lineup creation it is going to be slightly different game than just plugging in that optimal lineup that we maybe could have done five years ago on these sites from from one of our projections and then just yeah. saying that's a day we just can't do that anymore yeah i mean you touched on on the um, how pass catchers aren't as uh rel- not i won't say as relevant but they they aren't as sure things on FanDuel as they are DraftKings um because of the full ppr versus half ppr and also also there isn't a a yardage bonus i mean targets don't go into that um but but that does kind of tie into the volatility of the FanDuel scoring and it's not that pass catchers aren't important because you still do want players that aren't going to be completely game scripted out um but in FanDuel cash games it's still just going to be very hard if even if you do have a, a player that's going to stay relevant because of game script, it's going to be really hard for him to have a, a big game, which we're looking for on, on FanDuel. So really on FanDuel, we're not only looking for players that are going to stay relevant no matter what, be safe because they don't get game scripted out. It's actually a little bit more important that we just kind of are looking for players that are going to stay in a good game script because touchdowns are random but where we do see a lot of touchdowns come from the dalvin cooks from the derrick henry it is when they're up bid, and people think that's when the 100 yard bonuses come and that's true that's when the big yardage games come too but when they're just grinding it down the field and they have uh, a big lead that's where those second sometimes third touchdowns that's where those come in and, and those are really important on fandle so paying attention to things like game flow paying attention to things like goal line touches 
red zone opportunities, red zone passing work. Um, Fandle's really, even in, in cash games, I know we talk a ton about touchdowns and GPPs, even in cash games, Fandle really uh, slants towards that. Another thing that you talked about on Fandle, lack of a better term, softer pricing, what does it mean for Fandle in your cash game process? Well, with the exception of maybe a free square, which I'm sure we'll get into over the course of the 21 season, I'm trying to field a team of all-stars on FanDuel. Yeah. There's no real uh, way around it. If I have started to deviate because of you know, this person's got a good matchup and all of a sudden I look at my cash game lineup and I don't feel like I've separated the superstar plays from the star plays or even just the starter plays on FanDuel, I've probably gone awry. Or the, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. salary uh, algorithm has changed a lot. Because like we mentioned at the top of the show, the relative pricing at the upper levels for all the positions except for defense is just softer on FanDuel. Yeah. So again, the game becomes less about who are my low salary must plays and more about who are the mid to high price plays that are absolutely in the best spot. And... You know, I, I think that game is very, very exciting. Obviously, I'm going to be digging into it a lot this yeah. season. But I think it means that we can find values all over the place, particularly in the uh, the 12 to 24 positional range for running back and wide receiver. We're going to have values everywhere. Yeah, and I think that is a really important distinction to make because um, – you, you can log into FanDuel, and if you're using a, a lineup generator like 444s, it's it's easy to, to click that optimize button, and you can roster every top value on the slate and have a bunch of middling players um and and that might be the optimal you know that might be the optimal median point projection um but if you are going back to your example earlier uh foregoing the chance to have a Dalvin Cook to get DeAndre Swift and, and Miles Gaskin on the same team, that might work on on DraftKings where you need to get to one stud, but on Fandle where you can get three or four studs, um, that's just not the way to work. And and that that balanced strategy can really get you in trouble on Fandle. Uh, so so that's a really good point. The thing that I think about a lot with this is. There are the the field just in general has became a lot sharper in in DFS and I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. One thing that happens on Fanduel is we see a ton of lineup overlap, right? Because if we have one obvious free square and you could get to whoever the the big guys are that week, CMC and Dalvin um, combo, then a lot of players are a lot of DFS players are going to be rolling out that that free square plus those two running back combos and then whatever the chalk quarterback might be right so even in cash games in a huge you know a, in a hundred man 50 50 or double up you might feel like you're 3v3 with everybody obviously it's not the case with everybody but at least the sharp players might feel like that um i've kind of been on fandal of the opinion that I'm not forcing these two things, but I, I'm not shying away from them. Being slightly contrarian with equally valued players and kind of not fading value stacks. And so what I mean by that, if if I have two running backs that are kind of similarly valued, I, I will go with the slightly contrarian play if I, if I think the ownerships are, are going to be pretty noticeably different. Because mm -hmm. I do think there's going to be a ton of lineup overlap and I'm thriving to have those 90th percentile weeks every week. If I'm 3v3, 4v4 with everybody, that's not going to happen. Similar with stacking. A lot of people look at 
um, uh, again, going back, they'll look at an optimizer and they might see a Ryan Tannehill with a Julio Jones and say, uh, I don't want to roll that out in my, in my cash games. Cause it theoretically lowers my floor on FanDuel. I'm looking at it kind of differently. I'm like, again, I think there's a lot of times going to be a ton of overlap and I'm looking for that, that high end cash game week. Um, you can agree or disagree with me. What do you think about kind of those angles because of the soft pricing, because there is so much overlap? I agree. And I want to add one point to it. I think one uh, area we can exploit is defense versus position matchups. Mm. I think mm. that is well, I think that is well factored in to the salaries and the differences in salaries between players at a position yeah. these days. I think there is very little we can gain in terms of altering our our projections, but I think it changes people's opinions of the players more than it should sometimes. And I think sure. that's where it creates a huge ownership discrepancy. So if we can find a player who's had similar average fantasy points to another higher expected higher owned player or uh, it, or basically is getting the same opportunity, but is seeing lower ownership. Those are awesome opportunities to deviate from the field. Wait, uh, so so two weeks into DFS MVP podcast, are we getting a defense doesn't matter take from Matt Zavoka? I I have <laughs> some charts that I'm that I'm building out, but I'm uh, but I if you look at some of my favorite stats for defense, like uh, series success rates, which yeah. is basically how many times is uh, defense able to get off the field in four downs, or was the opponent able to get a first down or a mm -hmm. touchdown there's only about four or five teams that are outside of five percent from the league average yeah so there's a huge amount of defenses that when you boil it down yes they're having very different schemes they have very different exploits that offenses can take advantage of but that at the end of the day when you're talking about four downs and having a defense needing a stop there's only a few teams who are really good or really bad. So we're going to have to identify them and make sure that we exploit them. But for the most part, I think we overblow defense versus position just a little bit. Yeah, I, I think um, I think there's a lot of uh, really big like redraft study stuff that that seeps into DFS, and we're like we're dealing with the the highest variance game possible save showdown or like if you're playing like one half games but like a, a single dfs slate the variance is insanely high so i i'm not gonna go on the defense doesn't matter because i don't like responding to people on twitter but uh I, i'm gonna say yeah I, I i lean towards agreeing with you for sure um getting kind of into the nuts and bolts of Savoka's cash game process. Oh, uh, no. Let's 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 talk about um, how you approach um, Fandle specifically, or really just just cash games in, in general. Um, how much money you're putting in play in cash games, and how are you splitting that up uh, across games? Uh, are you slanting towards head to heads, double ups, fifty fifties? Are you throwing any other games into mix, uh, three mans, anything like that? Yeah, roughly 70% of my weekly bankroll is cash games. That's uh, combining head-to-head -head and 50-50 or similar type games. And of that 70% of my bankroll, it's usually about 50-50, although I would say in 2020 it was more head-to-head -head than, mm -hmm. the, than the double-ups. I will say that I think my philosophy about that is shifting um, because I think there are a lot of sharp players that are spending mm -hmm. their time between 
12.30 and 1 Eastern, those last few minutes before lock with really sharp lineups who are hunting newer players in the head-to-head lobbies. And I think yeah. it's good for newer players to just kind of avoid that whole nonsense until you have yeah. that time, until you're boiling down the, those last few minute changes. Um, I, have, I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, you, if you're playing head-to-heads, I, I, you need to make sure that you can be close to maxing out a buy-in level. Um, if you can only play five $1 head-to-heads, you might as well be playing double-ups or 50-50s. You, you want to be getting a, um, a reflection of how good your lineup really is. If, you're, if you have a 70th percentile lineup, you want to be able to win 70% of your cash games roughly, right? And if you're only playing five or six, you don't have the ability to do that. Um, if you are going to be playing head-to-heads, especially if you aren't um, – if you aren't one of the, the top guys in the world and people aren't going to recognize your name, you just don't want to post your games because one, people are going to start recognizing your name. And even if they don't scoop you, you're just going to, the slate's going to start and you're just going to get matched up with the un- other hundred players that posted 50 games. And, and then you guys are just kind of trading rate. You need to be taking the time to go through. And I mean, it, it's, it has a negative con- connotation. Like people, we don't have to call it bum hunting, but you have to take the time if you're going to play head to heads to go through and look for players that posted games that, that aren't um, experienced. And FanDuel makes it super easy. Everyone that posts a game, it shows how many games they've posted and their experience level. If somebody doesn't have a badge or just has like a new experience badge, I don't remember their designation, but like the, 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 light circle with the blue stars instead of it, instead of the dark blue circle. Um, and they're only posting two head to heads. That player's probably not as good as the player that's posting 100 games at a time. Right. Uh, so, so going, if you're going to play head to heads, you need to do that. Um, it's, it's, it's appealing, a, right? Because yeah. if you're playing head to heads, theoretically you win one, it, you're basically balancing out your week. You don't, yeah. if your goal is to not hit zero, if you're not sure you're going to have a profitable week, then head-to-heads feel really good because you only lose a little bit of your cash game bankroll for each loss. But ultimately, I think most DFS players right now are trying to just get consistent profitability. And that really comes from understanding the slate, understanding the game theory, understanding your opponents. And I don't know if taking the time to use that live, that before lock time, that last hour before lock to try to inv- avoid all the sharks that are swimming around the head to head lobby. For some, it can absolutely, absolutely be an advantage. And once you get to that next level of your play, I mean, mm-hmm. my goodness, take advantage, be one yeah. of those sharks. But until then, I think there's a little bit less headache in the double up game. Yeah. I, I think the vast majority of listeners, listeners or, or viewers are, are, are probably playing less than a hundred dollars. And, and a lot of that isn't going to cash. So I, I agree with you um, that double ups or 50 fifties are going to, to make more sense for them because like I talked about um, you want to recognize the, the, the true value of your, um, of your lineups. And, and it's going to be really hard to do that. Like if, if you have a, a 80th percentile lineup, you only have one head to head. It's not hard to, to, run into a 90th percentile lineup that one time. So in your double up strategy, like, are you, are you seeking out single entry contests? And if not, how are you changing your approach to, to multi-entry contests when you do in, enter them? Yeah, I, 
I personally love single entry and three entry tournaments. Obviously, I, there is a lot of cash game theory and then deviation from cash game theory that you can utilize in those types of games. But you know, when I'm talking specifically about double ups, you know, I, I think one of the real possible advantages you have when shifting over to double ups is that people see lots of people in the field. Yes. These, yes. Uh, you know, they're competing against a thousand other people and they need to get in the top 500. They suddenly start to do weird things like yep. it's a like it's a tournament they're playing for first place. You're yep. playing for 499th in that mm -hmm. th theoretical tournament. And so you really don't need to deviate at at all, really. And so I think I've noticed a little bit of a trend where especially inexperienced players will start to just think of the participants and start to change their strategy. So I, I want to take advantage of that as much as possible. Yeah, I, I mean, I've kind of shifted my thinking as well. Like in, in maybe, shoot, all the way up to last year, I've been pretty adamant that you should be playing 50-50s instead of double-ups because 50-50s uh, do take less rake and pay out slightly more than a double-up um, in terms of the field, not in terms of, of, of what you get, obviously, because a double-up, you double your money. But I, I'm I'm... I've kind of shifted that because of what you just said. I, I think these larger, especially the single entry fields, single entry double ups, um, the, the fields just look softer than a, a 10,000 person, $5 double up. The field just is softer than a 100 man 50, 50. And then if we stretch that out to like multi-entry double ups, I, I haven't updated this study since for, for this year, but last year, I, I don't think things changed much. If you're playing in single entry, there's a three to four point difference um, in the average cash line for a single entry double up than a multi entry double up. And that's kind of intuitive. Like if you're in a multi entry double up where the best players in the world can enter 150 lineups, their best lineup 150 times, you're not playing double up anymore. You're playing like a three X against but you only double your money against the, the best players in the world. And it's, it's not even paying out half the field because so many of the participants are max entering there. So I, I really encourage people to seek out single entry double up contests. Um, if you haven't been playing a lot, seek out beginner contests. The, the, yes. the cash line and beginner contests is some, if you're looking at a, a $2 double up um, that's open to the field compared to a $2 uh, beginner double up, sometimes the difference in average cash line over the course of an entire season, not one week, is as big as 10 points. And that 10 points, I mean, that's the difference of if you're in a, a full-size double up, that's thousands of players that you don't have to beat. Um, so definitely be looking for those things. One thing that isn't talked about in cash a lot is overlay, but you look for overlay in cash games. Yeah, I mean, in general, I'm using the extensions that are available for, I believe, Chrome and Firefox yep. to get into the lobby and see situations where tournaments are not filled, but they are guaranteed. It's yep. that simple. And often in the last half an hour before lock of a slate, you can find suddenly softer fields. Yep. Uh, now, the the high-end tournaments they are usually it's like a second version of a tournament yep. and so the top prizes are significantly lower but we're playing cash games here so it doesn't really matter uh in terms of uh how much money we're planning on winning it just matters in what is the difficulty of the field so i think we can find situations where we have a very simple field although i will say there's probably a lot of sharp players who are doing the exact same thing we're but they can't be in two places at once. They can't be in the head-to-head -head lobbies circling there and overlay hunting. So I'm just trying to do something that 
that group is not. Yeah, but but even if we're talking about sharp players, I mean, if we're if we're talking about overlay, say it's and we see this a ton at the fifteen one hundred dollar level, just because there aren't yes. as many people that that can fill those games. I th I think like the the year before last, the fifteen one hundred dollar huge double ups only ran like like nine times because they couldn't get it to fill but the early in the season they're guaranteed so they don't uh it's it's just like a tournament if it if it doesn't fill it still pays out so even if you're playing against tougher competition if they're paying out 50 people and there's only 80 people in the contest that's that's a huge advantage i don't care if i'm playing the best 80 players in the world that's great i'm, I'm playing that contest every time maybe not the best 80 players in the world maybe like 80 of the best 200 or something like that. yeah that would be uh, tough. <laughs> <laughs> but hey i maybe hey i'm I'll, I'll i'll go toe to toe with anybody i don't care um post your head heads uh we talked a little bit about this last week uh how are i shouldn't say that on a live show don't post your head to head don't don't scoop my action um how, how are you giving yourself upside with your cash game lineups um are you entering your lineups in gpps we talked a little bit about it last week but but tell us exactly what you're doing with your cash lineups every week yeah i think especially if you have and you'll get better at this if you keep going over slate after slate after slate if you start to feel like you have a huge command over the slate and you're like you're sitting there on sunday going i have i have the optimal lineup you're doing yourself a disservice by not entering that lineup even if it is theoretically a cash game lineup into tournaments with high, uh, with high top prizes, because mm -hmm. if the optimal does hit, believe me, you do not want to be sitting there with a 99th percentile cash game lineup that gave you a solid 10 to 30% return on your week when you could have had week changing, year changing, life changing yeah. money had you entered that into the, the Millie Maker. And don't be afraid in those situations where you have a cash game lineup that you think is very strong or you have a core in your cash game lineup and then you feel like you could cycle through some, say, wide receivers or low tier tight ends that you feel comfortable with. Make one deviation from your cash game lineup and throw it into some of these single entry tournaments or even or even multi-entry tournaments where you just feel like throwing in one lineup that you feel is by far your best. Yeah, I mean, one one thing that I ba I talked about this a little bit last week. I, I don't see them in the FanDuel lobby yet, but if I remember correctly, they have them um, throwing it into like a 100 man winner take all because if that hit one hits once it gives you a, a nice little cushion to for those down weeks. And I hand track all of my, my games um, because I do take those results from my, if I throw my cash game lineup in a 100 man, I count that as cash game winnings um, because I'm doing it to give myself a cushion when it hits. Um, a lot of people might not agree with that, but I mean, it, winnings are winnings, right? All we care about is, is dollars in the account at the end of the season. I don't care That's right. how you track them, but um, like on FanDuel specifically, they have right now, they have 100 player leagues that are posted. They pay out the top 12. So example, like a $5 buy-in, if you come in first in that 100 man league, which isn't hard to do with the cash lineup, no matter how the 99 other people are building, like you're, if you're building really good, there's a good chance you're going to beat 100 people at least once in the year. You could 25x your money just by hitting that alone, and, and that's gonna that's gonna give you um, uh, a lot of cushion for those down weeks. So find something that you're comfortable putting your cash lineup in. I mean, I've said it, I. I probably a hundred times on, on podcasts here or elsewhere. Um, but just remember to do it. If you're playing 200, 300, 400 bucks every week, even if you, like I said, just that, that 100 player league, that $5 is a drop in a bucket, but it could 
25x that five dollars pretty quickly so um so pay attention to those make sure you're, yeah. you're if doing i can add something. one thing to that yeah, the the realistic expectations for cash games in 2021 should be a basically the same record in terms of wins and losses for a season as a great fantasy football team a season-long fantasy football team so a great season where you went something like uh, I don't know, 11 and 11 and six now with a 17 game or oh, 11 and 11 and seven with an 18 yeah. Yeah. week slate. That is a very realistic expectation. Yep. So sure. we want to take advantage of those weeks, mm-hmm. the week differential that we, the yes. win differential and really, really cash in on those weeks. And if we're not putting our optimal lineups in uh, opportunities to get five X 10 X when we really feel like we're on it, we're going to miss out. We're also going to get discouraged about sure. uh, just our play in general. I know there are many, many of us who have had a week where we feel like we were on every single sharp play, but we just never got a lineup that shuffled them all together. These are situations where we can take what we know is their strongest lineup and cash into the point where we can weather two or three down weeks because they will happen. Yeah, I mean, I... I- Go back to a, an old poker analogy. Like I'm basically just trying to to break even between my heaters, right? So I want to give myself when yes. I when I when I am on that heater to maximize the value I'm extracting from that heater. So when those 99th percentile lineups hit, I don't want to win all of my head heads. I want to win all of my head heads and a GPP and a three man and a five max and a 10x and a 20x. You know, I, I want that to happen. So that's the way to do it. Um, let's jump uh, to another subject a little bit. Pivot here. Um, we talked about DraftKings uh, last week. We're talking about just our cash games on FanDuel this week. But realistically, even though you're going to be talking about FanDuel all season, we're playing all over the place. So I'm, I'm assuming you're playing on other sites. Um, how do you manage that? How are you building your your lineups across sites? How are you diversifying across sites? Or do you even care about diversifying across sites? Uh, diversification isn't the most important thing to me. I really try, again, I'm going to use this phrase again. I believe it's extremely important from just a game strategy standpoint to get a feel for each slate and each slate is site specific. So uh, I hand build for most of the early parts of the week. And well, obviously I create a lot of NFL DFS related content. So part of my carving down process going from my intuition as I start to hand build at the beginning of the week to the end of the week where I'm utilizing as much information as possible, I'm leaning on projections heavily. I I also create a ton of content that legitimately helps me get from point A to point B. But for me, it's all about using my time wisely when I'm observing and exploring the slate. Now I do a lot of data analysis as well, so I can get a a bird's eye view of things and I'll try to uh, portray that information on my articles every single week on four for four. But for the most part, I am trying to get an innate understanding of each site I'm going to end up playing so that when I do hit Saturday and Sunday and I'm leaning on an optimizer to show me what the actual optimal lineups are, I can have a backbone of intuitive strategy that I can add in because I don't believe a computer can do that fully, 100% at all, as good as these optimizers are, and they are excellent. Yeah, I I mean, the way I think of an optimizer and and obviously you should be using 444's lineup generator, 444.com. I I think it's, I kind of use it as a, um, 
as a checks and balances, make sure I'm not missing anything, right? Because I, I agree, it, it, it is super valuable to go in and, and take all the research we've doing. And a, a lineup optimizer is never going to be able to capture the nuance of the differences between a scoring system like FanDuel and DraftKings and, and do things like say it's more important to pay up for this position or to make sure I'm jamming in these two players together and optimizers often isn't going to do that um, but it, what, what it can do is show us some blind spots you know if, if I wasn't on like a, a a Kiki Kute, but he keeps showing up and, and optimizers. Like maybe I have to at least think about it. Maybe I just, Oh, maybe there's something I completely overlooked. Um, but, but that's how I'm using them. I'm, I'm, it's giving me an idea of how salaries fit together and showing me any of my blind spots. So all of that, everybody's favorite cash game question, the, the classic Twitter question, how many lineups are you playing every week? Cash. Yeah. I think that when I have a great week, I'm trying to narrow down to one lineup and one lineup only. I consider one lineup me for me being my mission accomplished for the yeah. week. Because if I don't have one lineup, it means I haven't narrowed down the slate quite as much as I want to. Now, usually, usually my multi-lineup cash weeks are because of some sort of injury news breaking late. And I essentially have a great feel for what the slate looks like at the beginning of the week. But by the end of the week and right before lock, the slate is starting to feel really differently. Everyone who has been on Twitter on Sunday morning and seen videos of first team reps and warmups, and suddenly you're trying to change your entire cash lineup, tilting that way, you know what I mean. There are some weeks where major injury news on Friday and Saturday drastically changes the, the slate. And sometimes it's really impossible to recreate your entire main slate process and that's when I will not necessarily admit defeat, but just sort of spread out my thinking about the week to two or at max three cash lineups. Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part, though, one lineup means mission accomplished. I know what this slate is all about. Yeah, I, um, I think that people that play multiple cash game lineups, assuming you're playing high volume, um, I'm going to give a caveat here in a second, but assuming you're playing relatively high volume, maybe 30 to 30 or more head to heads and, and 50 fifties, double ups um, in there as well, that if you aren't playing one lineup, I, I think it's fear-based um, because what you're basically doing is you're saying I'm hedging because I'm not confident in either my my projections or my projection of how the slate is going to play out. And I don't want to give myself a floor of $0. Um, you're also taking away your ceiling of a 99th percentile. Like one year, you're not going to have two 99th percentile lineups. And if you want to have those huge spikes in your roto tracker graph, and you want to have the opportunity to, to grow your, your bankroll exponentially um, in a single week or a couple of weeks, then you have to live with that fear. This is the game we're playing. We're playing a game of extremely thin edges. And if you're taking away those edges because you're hedging, um, then you're really doing yourself a disservice. And we talked about last week, there's ways to naturally hedge by playing multiple slates, by playing across um, multiple sites. And that doesn't mean you're going to automatically play different players, but there's just going to be some natural variance in your lineups. And that's going to hedge. I think on a single slate, if you're playing cash games, I, I think it's, it's pretty bad process to be playing multiple uh, lineups just for the sake of it. I think I've done it maybe once in the past three years and I can't even remember the reason I'd have to dig into it, but there is a caveat. Um, I think that people that are playing one lineups, I'm, I'm assuming that you are like you talked about taking your approach on double ups and 50 fifties or playing high volume head to heads. When I say high volume head to heads, 
Um, I'm talking about 30 or more because 30 is kind of that mathematical number where we start to see a um, just a, a natural curve of scoring expectations. So you're going to start to approach a bell curve of scores that you are facing. Um, if you're playing less to that, less than that in head to heads, you can have an 80th percentile score and still have a really bad week. Ideally, you want to be maxing out a buy-in level. So if, if the site lets you enter 50 lineups at, at $1 level, I want to do that before I move up to the $2 level. Um, and on the flip side, if you're somebody that only has five bucks to throw into cash games, I would suggest playing five different lineups in $1.50-50s because if you only throw that one lineup into five 50-50s, um, pretty good chance you're gonna have a zero week if things go bad um so that is the rare case if you're playing super low stakes if you're only playing a couple bucks a week uh then i think i'm okay with playing a few different lineups um in double ups or cash games matt before we get out of here anything else you want to say on cash games for fanduel i think if you are playing super low stakes like that just get comfortable with the Mm -hmm. right you're in the very beginning stages of your dfs career your dfs journey and so get comfortable with the idea that you're playing to have a huge week as you you were talking about earlier on the weeks where you really have it so get comfortable with the idea that you might lose yep most or all of that in the beginning but that doesn't necessarily you're meaning you're making uh terrible plays you might actually be making sharp plays but your week is down the road so you're developing your strategy again developing that feel for each slate and we're going to help create all sorts of content so that by the time you hit sunday morning you already know it's what the best plays are by a mile yeah, man, the the best cash game players in the world are winning like 60 to 65% clip. That means 40% of the time you're losing. So definitely uh, get, get comfortable losing, but we're going to win bigger than that. Oh, yeah, we uh, sure are. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, all right, Matt, thank you for, for this one. Listeners and viewers, thank you uh, for, for viewing DFS content in August. Uh, if you checked it out on YouTube or Periscope, we really appreciate it. We're going to be continuing to stream every week, Thursday next week, and then the following week we go to our regular Friday schedule. It's going to be every Friday all the way through the playoffs, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time, 3 p.m. real time. Of course, we are going to continue to have uh, the audio version on podcast for everybody that's used to that. It'll be on iTunes and all the major platforms. So if you're on iTunes, please give it a rate and review. That helps out a ton. Uh, If you're on YouTube, please like and subscribe. If you're looking for a way to get access to DFS for $20, go to 444.com slash prize picks. Be sure to check out our preseason analysis from Tim Tim Talmadge and Pat James. They have articles going up every slate, and they'll be in Discord getting you guys ready for that. And if you want to get caught up on some of the stuff we're talking about here, go to our Evergreen Theory segment in the 444 Strategy Hub. I have a really, really cool series coming out uh, in the next week or two that's going to be filling up that Strategy Hub. And make sure you check out our content preview that I just posted last week on the site to tell you everything that Matt, myself, and all of our other DFS writers are going to be covering every single week for DFS. If you want more of us, check out Matt on Twitter at Draftaholic. I'm at TJ Hernandez, 444, of course, at 444 Football. We'll talk to you guys next week.